Excuse me. Hear the word of God from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. This reading is from the New Revised Standard Version. You can follow along in your pew Bible on page 934. That's 934. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love. The word of God for the people of God. It's quite probable that you've heard that text before. You don't have to be affiliated with a church or a regular church goer to have heard 1 Corinthians 13. You likely only have had to attend at least one wedding in your life. And you've heard these beautiful poetic words from Paul. But I invite you to consider the fact that there is, in amidst this love chapter, a very strong yet subtle subtext going on here in which Paul offers a meditation not just on the nature of love but on the nature of time. Think about it. Time time is a funny thing. We measure it. We plan our lives around it. We, we structure our day around it. Most of the time we think of time as linear. It has a, a beginning and a middle and an end. We wake up in the morning we go to sleep at night. We have breakfast, then we have lunch, then we have dinner. We, we clock in to our job, we clock out of it. We drop our kids off at school, then we pick them up later in the day. We, we observe the beginning of life when we are at the birth of someone, and then at the end of their lives we mourn their passing in their funeral. And all in between, we mark the passage of time in their lives with birthdays and anniversaries and other kinds of celebrations. But but not only can time be linear, time can also be circular. At least that's what our Eastern 
friends would have us believe, that what goes around comes around, that history tends to repeat itself, that every year we have four seasons that come and then they go and then they come back again, unless you live in Florida where it's just (laughs) one season all year long. We get up and the sun has risen. We go to sleep, the sun has set, and then it rises again in the morning. Sometimes time can be linear, sometimes time can be circular, and sometimes time can just feel random. Sometimes you you don't have enough of it in the day, and sometimes it seems to drag on and on and on. Some of you might be at a place in your life right now where you feel like there just aren't enough hours or minutes in your day. You're struggling to make ends meet, to keep all the plates spinning, to achieve and to succeed and do everything that you need to do, and there just doesn't seem to be enough time. Sometimes time goes quickly. Sometimes worship services are filled with such energy and excitement and joy that the 60 minutes just seems to fly by. But most of the time, you sit there... And the sermon seems to never end. And then there are some of us who are at a particular stage in our lives. Some people call it midlife. Where you have that dawning realization that you have more time behind you then you have time ahead of you. And time seems to work against you. You're filled with anxiety and angst about your future. And in so many ways, we feel like we are a slave to time. And then there are those moments when we ask ourselves the question, is there another way to live? In fact, the way Paul puts it in this text Wouldn't it be nice if there was a more excellent way to live? A a way in which we are not a slave to time, in which we find fullness and meaning and purpose to our lives, regardless of whether time is linear or circular or whether there's too much of it or not enough. And that's why 1 Corinthians 13 is here. Paul, as a matter of fact, is writing during his own kind of midlife stage. Scholars say that 1 Corinthians, that letter to the church in Corinth, was written when he was in his late 40s, early 50s, perhaps recognizing that there was a lot more time behind him than there was ahead. The church in Corinth was receiving Paul's letter at a time of significant growth and midlife strain when it was being engulfed by all sorts of bitterness and and division, some growing pains, high-hanging fruit that they were arguing about, about ideology and theology and philosophy and, and all sorts of other things like worship practice and Christian discipline. And it was a church that was divided. And so Paul comes to this significant passage in his letter, not only to give us a meditation about love, but a meditation about time. I mean, it's in there if you look at it. Paul says at the beginning, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I acted like a child. 
And then he talks about the middle of his life. But when I grew up, I put an end to childish ways. And then he begins to think about the future, about what will happen upon the vast horizon of the unknown. And he says, looking into the future is like looking into a glass dimly. So there's Paul reflecting on the linearity of time. And in the end, what he says is that if you're looking for a more excellent way, it's all about love. There's an old children's story that's told uh, that begins with the words, well, you know what it begins with, once upon a time, the way most of these stories begin. Once upon a time, there was an island. And on that island, the citizens were all feelings and ideas. Happiness lived there. Uh, So did sadness and anger and grief. And so did richness and vanity and joy and love. Love was a citizen there too. One day the citizens of the island got some very bad news that the island was sinking and that their time on that island was limited. Immediately, all of the feelings and ideas, the citizens of the island, gathered up their belongings and they manufactured boats to get them safely off the island. All except love. Love decided to stay on that island because love believed in hanging in there till the end. The, the island began to sink, and all that was left was a, a tiny little precipice peeking out above the water. And on that tiny little patch of land, there was love all the way to the end. Love then called out for help just to see if anybody would come by to, to rescue her. And the first person to hear her cries was richness, came scooting by on this gorgeous yacht. said, richness, I need help. Richness said, oh, but I, I have so much gold and silver on this boat, I don't, I don't have any room for you. The next resident to come by was, was vanity. Beautiful, pristine, gorgeous boat. Love called out, Vanity, help me, I'm about to drown. But Vanity said, you're all wet and dirty. You're going to stain my beautiful yacht. So then sadness comes by, all by himself. There in an inflatable raft, plenty of room for Love to crawl in there. Love said, Sadness, I need your help. Please save me. To which sadness said, I'm so sad, I just need to be by myself. One by one, every citizen scooted by, refusing to help out love, except for one. One of the elders of the island came by and saw love in need, scooped her up, put her in his boat, and off they sailed to the next island, where this elder dropped love off on dry land in safety and then took off, disappeared. Love was perplexed. 
Who was it that just saved me? I don't know. She went to one of the other elders who had escaped on the same island and said to knowledge, one of the elders, who was it that saved me? And knowledge said to love, that, that, was, that was time. Because only time is capable of understanding how valuable love is. That's why 1 Corinthians 13 is so important to us. That's why of, of all the scriptures that we could use to conclude our worship series, Make a Difference, 1 Corinthians 13 is such a perfect one for us. Because in addition to talking to us about love, in addition to talking to us about the nature of time, Paul is very clear. Time and love are inextricably linked. If you want to experience the full value of one, you have to experience the full value of the other. In other words, if you want to make the most of your time on earth, then fill it with love in every aspect of your being. And if you, if you want to understand what love really means, then make the most of every minute, every relationship, every interaction you have. Time and love are linked together. And Paul even makes it easy for us. If you want to know how to make the best of both love and the time you have on earth, then he gives us a list that is not only comprehensive, it is downright practical. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4 to 8 really are. You've heard it before. You just heard it from Cecilia. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or rude. You've heard it many, many times before. But what if in your effort to make the most of love in your time on earth, what if you took verses 4 to 8 and substituted the word love with your name and then asked this list in the form of questions? Questions that you might ask yourself in self-reflection and self-inventory regularly, if not every single day. It might sound like this. Am I being patient in my life? Am I being kind in my interactions with others? Or to put it negatively, is there a part of me at all that is envious or boastful or arrogant or, or rude even in my interactions with other people? Is there a part of me that's insisting on my own way especially in a time that seems so polarized and divided in our, in our relationships and in our interactions with people? Am I insisting on my own way? Is there a part of me that is irritable or resentful in the way that I speak to other people, in the way that I interact in social media with other people? Is there a part of me that rejoices in wrongdoing? Have my values been so screwed up by the cultural values of this world that I don't even know the difference between right or wrong to where I'm even cheering for wrongdoing in the world or do I rejoice in the truth? Am I bearing all things? Am I a person of deep-rooted and anchored belief 
Am I remaining hopeful regardless of how much suffering there is in my life and in the world? Am I willing to endure until the end? Do I really believe that love never ends? Regardless of the evidence that you might be experiencing in your life to the contrary, regardless of how nonsensical and irrational the events of your life might be, Paul is very clear to make the most of your time on earth. Don't stop believing in love. Don't stop letting love permeate every aspect of your being, your relationships, your behavior, and your worldview. That's hard. I get it. That's hard. Especially when times are dark and when things are tough. But Paul makes it very clear. Love can reorient your perspective on time. Your past, your present, and your future. In what way, for example, can love help you heal from the woundedness and the shame and the guilt from your past and all the wrongdoing that you have either committed or has been done to you? In what way can love alter your present in the way that it helps you reprioritize everything that should be important to you? And in what way can love impact the way you see your future? by helping you think about how you want to best be remembered. Paul says it's all about love. And the good news is, you don't have to do it on your own. Paul would be the very first to say to you that if you want to do any of this, God has already done it for you. You know, John Wesley used to say that we are moving on to perfection which is a hard thing for you and I to think about because none of us are perfect. None of us will ever be perfect in the way we often think of perfection, being mistake-free and sinless. But Wesley was always clear to say, the way we are being perfected is by being perfected in love. And it begins with the way that God loves you. In fact, this This thing that I'm about to say may be the best and only news that you need to hear today. God loves you unconditionally. Even if you've never experienced unconditional love from another person in your life, even if you've never loved someone else truly unconditionally, God loves you in that way. Jesus Christ and his work on the cross sets you free from everything that enslaves you And because of that, God has filled you with a holy love, whether you recognize it or not. But there's more. The better good news, the even better good news, is that not only has God loved you, God has empowered you to love other people. Because in the Bible, we are not just vessels of love. We're called to be channels of love. God not only loves us, God wants to love others through us. And that's what was so important for Paul. That's why love was so important. Not only to recognize that God loves you unconditionally, but God can love others through your gifts and through your passion and through your commitment. And in the end, you can make a difference. That's why this text is so perfect for us to conclude our series on. In fact, I want to share with you a story 
a story of one of our church members that we are celebrating today. As some of you may know, every United Methodist congregation is encouraged every year to designate one or more of its church members with a special distinction called the Honorary Member of the Charge Conference, which is a long and fancy title to explain a very simple premise that we get to designate a person every year who embodies the best of this congregation, who models for all of us a commitment to the mission and vision of this church to make God's love real, not just here at Hyde Park, but all throughout the community. And this morning, we are honored to celebrate Doris Ross Reddick. Some of you may know Doris, longtime member of this church, along with her late husband, Harold. Doris, at an early age, was called to be a teacher And so she became an educator here in Hillsborough County. And throughout all of her efforts, she eventually was given the distinction of being elected as the very first African-American woman on the Hillsborough County School Board. She fought on that council for equal opportunity for for children, for, for educators, and for staff, deeply committed to unleashing the potential of every single person, believing that every person has a right to a full and energizing education. There are members of this church. Harold and, and Doris were lifelong Methodists, members at first at a, at a couple African Methodist Episcopal churches here in the area. And then they started coming to Hyde Park, United Methodist. People started to ask Doris and Harold, why in the world are you going to Hyde Park instead of going to one of the traditionally black, historically black congregations? And Doris would respond simply with, because God sent us here, which is about as good a reason as any. This church, after all, took a stand against segregation decades ago when it was controversial to do so. This church, after all, has at the heartbeat of its mission a commitment to God's love being made real to all people because we are open-minded and we are warm-hearted. And so today, earlier this morning at the 930 service, we were honored to celebrate Doris Ross Reddick. And rather than say anything more about her life, I thought we would let her share her life with you in the form of this brief video. My name is Doris Ross Reddick. I decided to be a teacher not because it was something I wanted to do, but it was a desire of my mother's. When she was a little girl in second grade, she said to anybody who would listen, when I'm a lady, I'm going to get married and I'm going to have a little girl and I'm going to name her Doris, and Doris is going to be a teacher. And here I am Doris, and Doris was a teacher. Doris Ross Reddick, a teacher, a trailblazer. The first African-American woman on the Hillsborough County School Board. Her legacy paved the way for an entire community. The challenges I've seen her overcome professionally um, were many in terms of 
being a teacher during a time where it was the civil rights movement, so integrating schools as a first black teacher in New York, and then later uh, facing many challenges in trying to get um, teachers, white teachers, to understand from a language barrier how to teach African American children. And then later, uh, as the school board chairman, uh, ensuring that minority vendors receive fair pay in the bidding process. Mrs. Reddick's legacy is the fruition of the determination of a young slave, her great-grandmother, who wasn't allowed to even touch a book. To a mother's dream of having a daughter named Doris who would become a teacher, how could these dreamers have ever imagined all the accomplishments of Doris Ross Reddick? I want them to know that they, uh, they, they matter. Young people matter. All people are matter. No matter what your color is, your creed, or your whatever, you matter. And just keep that in your mind. And if you decide you want to do something, you can go for it, but give it all. You know, if you're not going to give it all that you got, don't start it. You can do so many things that you don't even know you can do it until you start. Doris was with us at the 9.30. Yes, let's do that. I'm going to share a video link of this service with Doris later in the week, and she will be able to hear the affirmation that you have given to her. She was with us in the 9.30 service. In fact, we have a picture from that service uh, so you can see her. Uh, it was great to have her with us as the congregation, just like you did, expressed its joy and celebration of her. In a way, it's a fitting uh, conclusion to our series because the deepest thing that I want to say to all of you is thank you. Not just thanks to Doris for her life, for her witness, for her journey, but to all of you for understanding the significant link between your time on earth and the love that God has given you. So many of you understand it in the way that you offer your life and your time and your energy. Now, and I'm not just talking about the way that you volunteer for ministries in this church, although I'm profoundly grateful for that, because frankly, not a single ministry in this church would happen without lay people like you. But I recognize that the Spirit is doing a mighty thing, not just in this church, not just through this church, but beyond this church. You all are so active out there in the community and in the world through kingdom-building ministries that are not under the banner of Hyde Park United Methodist, that have nothing to do with the ministries of this church, but you are making God's love real nonetheless. You are making a difference as foster parents and guardian ad litems. You are making a difference as volunteers at the PTA and the school boosters. And, and you are making a difference as sports coaches and pro bono attorneys. You are part of the Junior League. You are part of Habitat for Humanity. You are using your voices to speak in city hall meetings. You are using your feet to join justice marches. You are joining your hands in soup kitchens and food distribution tents. You are Habitat for Humanity. You are Humane Society. You are the Junior League. You are 
metropolitan ministries, and so much more. You are raising your children with kingdom values, and you are reaching out to people for empathy and understanding with people with whom you disagree. You are making a difference. And you are doing it not just out of faith, not just out of hope, but you are doing it because of the greatest of these, because of love. Paul was right that if you want to make the most of your time on earth, then fill every moment with love. And if you want to fully understand what love can mean in and through your life, then make the most of every moment in this limited time you have on earth. Because in the end, Paul was right. Love endures. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the faithful witness of so many people, including and especially Doris, but for all of us who have received your gift of love and your call to make a difference. As we prepare for Holy Communion this morning, empower us to continue to love others, to make a difference with our time, our talent, our treasure, to be faithful fulfillers of our vow, to support your kingdom through our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness to you. And as we receive the bread and the cup in a few short moments, help us to be the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood as your witness to the world. We give you thanks for love and for the time on earth we have to receive it and share it. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, let all God's people say, Amen.